Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. Well, we certainly got the rain part down today. And now we know the blessings are going to come, right? Because, you know, if it doesn't rain, sometimes the blessings can't come. It's got to rain to get the blessings. Now, that's not all the case all the time, but that certainly is the case a lot of the time in our life. We're going to talk a little bit about more that today. We're going to continue our series on It's No Big Deal. And we've been focusing in recently on It's No Big Deal What You Believe. But we know that's not true, at least from the Christian perspective, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it, not only does it matter on what kind of religious system you embrace, it matters whether you embrace one at all. Last week, we started reaching out to our unbelieving friends. And you know, a lot of you may really never have an opportunity to develop a friendship with a Jewish person, or a Hindu person, or a Buddhist person, or, or, or a person who's, who's a Muslim. But all of us have unbelieving people in our life, unbelieving friends, unbelieving family members. And so we're reaching out to them now. What do we say to them? How can we present Jesus to them? Because I know we care about them. I know that, that we want them to have eternal life. So last week we began answering the question, is there really a God? Now, can we pr- be proved without a shadow of a doubt as Christians that there's a God? And the answer is no. We can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God. And God doesn't even want us to try to do that, nor has God given us the ability to do that. Why? Because Hebrews 11.6 says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. There's got to be a faith element in this. There's got to be a trust element in it. Or really it's no thing. God could have made it to where there was absolutely no doubt of his existence. But what, what does that prove? How does that allow us the opportunity to demonstrate trust and love and faith in him? And so he's left a little uh, uh, evidence out there that, that is still to be found when we see him. However, as we discovered last week, there is a preponderance of evidence available. We don't walk by blind faith. We looked at just four things last week, and we saw how awesome God is, and how everything in our creation just cries out that it could not have all just happened by random chance. There had to be a master designer involved. If you missed last week, let me encourage you to catch up with that message, because it was a really exciting discovery of what God has created. God said in Romans chapter 1, that which may be known about me is clearly seen in what I have made. And that's what we talked about last week. Now, we're going to go on today and ask another question that many unbelievers ask. And it usually goes something like this. If God is a God of love, why does he allow suffering? If there's really a God of love out there, then why is there so much suffering in the world? C.S. Lewis, who was one of the prominent uh, Christian scholars of the 20th century, said this. He said, the problem of pain is atheism's most potent weapon against Christianity. See, that's where they come a lot of time. They'll say, yeah, you believe in God. Oh, your God is such a God of love. Well, how come your life has so much pain in it? How come other people's life has so much pain in it? How come there's so much suffering in the world? See, it's a question that probably will come up against at some time. And you know what? It's also a question that we've asked ourselves, isn't it? God, you, I know you're a God of love. Your word says that you are love then why do you allow so much pain in the world? 
So what are we going to say to people who ask us that question? Well, let's start with another question. Let's start with this question. And that is, if you could create the world, what would your world look like? Let's start all over again. Let's say God gave you the ability to create the world. I think this one's purple or pink or something like that. Mike, one, two, one, two. Check it out. One, two, are we on? All right, now this isn't just a rhetoric thing here. I'm actually going to do this. You get to create the world now. Okay, you're creating the world. What are our characteristics? If you got to create the world, what would your world that you created look like? Who wants to start? Give me something. There'd be an ocean. All right, wait a minute. There'd be an ocean. Okay, there'd be an ocean. Okay, I've got to push a button on the bottom or something like this. Anybody have eyes I can see? <laughs> push the button on the bottom. There's a little red button there. Okay, an ocean. How about somebody else? Just shout something else. What would you create? How would you, what would your world look like? What's that? Animals. animals. Gonna have animals? Okay. How about other things? What would your world look like? Lots of beautiful people like me. What else? Flowers. Flowers. Okay. What else? What would your world look like? Lots of trees. How about what would the life experience be like in your world? No what? No work? And all God's people said... What else? What else would your world look like? What's that? No sickness. No death. No violence. No war. No, no stress. <laughs> no, what is it? No debt. Yeah, how about, amen to that. How about no debt, huh? No more financial woes. What else? Something else. What's that? Inclusiveness. No racism, right? Eat all you want without gaining weight. Yes. I want to live in your world. All these things, you know, that we talk about. If we could create the world, what would our world look like? It would look like someplace without pain, someplace without sorrow, someplace without debt, someplace without racism, someplace without all the things that we deal with. Well, you know what? That's exactly the world God created. See, we think like God. God thinks like us. That's exactly the world that God created. He created a world where there wasn't any war. He created a world where there wasn't any racism. He created a world where there wasn't any financial struggle. He created a world where there was no cancer, there was no divorce, there was no crime, there was no addiction. That's exactly the world He created. So what happened then? Well, we know what happened, don't we? Bible says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and this way, death came to all because all have sinned. See, what happened is, we sinned. And when we sinned, we brought suffering into the world. God didn't create it. He didn't impose it on us. We welcomed it. We ushered it into our living experience. Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 22, For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. 
See, the reason that the world is like it is, and the reason that suffering exists in our world, is not because God was playing some kind of game and imposed it on us. The reason is we ushered it in because of our rebellion against God. And every one of us would have done the same thing because every one of us have done the same thing in our own life. So when we talk about suffering in the world, the place to start is don't blame God. Don't blame Him. Suffering is man's creation. So where do we go from here? Now, they're probably not going to take that. Oh, you know, you're right. I'm going to look at this altogether different. You know, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question is, why, isn't why does God allow suffering? But maybe because of the understanding of the world we live in, the question really becomes, is suffering really bad? Is all suffering really bad? Does suffering have a place in our life? Can, can, we, can we say that suffering actually has something productive to offer us? Maybe that's why God didn't just eradicate it and he allowed us to live under this for a while in our present condition. But how could suffering have any good to it? Well, pain punishes perpetrators. There's a lot of people who have been in our world and who live in our world today who are evil people. People like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson. People with no remorse of taking human life. Some by the scores, some by the millions. There's a sense in every one of us, there's a sense of justice that cries out, they shouldn't be able to get away with that. They should have to pay for those crimes. And so, we all get in line and say, they deserve some pain. They deserve some suffering in turn. They, need, they deserve to be incarcerated. They deserve to have their freedoms taken away. They deserve to be punished. See, pain punishes those who impose their will on other people in a negative and destructive way. The fear of that pain also what? Keeps some people from acting out like they might have acted out. See, in fact, sometimes suffering saves. I think a classic case of this is the testimony of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, in the early 1970s, was among one of the elite groups of people ruling America. He was special counsel to the President of the United States, Richard Milhouse Nixon. He had everything going his way. He was a man of power. He was a man of influence. When he said jump, people would shout, ha ha. I mean, he had it all. He had position. He could walk into the Oval Office of the United States of America and talk with the president whenever he wanted to. He was on the inside. He was influential in not only the dealings of our country, but international dealings. And he was an arrogant man. He was a cocky man. He didn't think the law was for him, and he was above it. And so him and some other cronies one night got together and broke into the Democratic National Headquarters in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C., and the rest became history. They were caught. 
They were exposed. And this conspiracy went all the way up to the presidency of the United States, forcing President Nixon to resign the presidency. And when he was caught, his world came crushing down. No longer were people protecting him. No longer were people impressed with him. No longer were people answering his whim. Suffering brought him to his knees. Look what he says about it. He says, a lot of people have asked me what I think about what I remember back to that hot, humid August night in 1973 when Tom Phillips, then president of Raytheon Company, witnessed to me in his home. I left his house that night, shaken by the words he had read from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity about pride. It felt as if Lewis were writing about me, former Marine captain, special counsel to the President of the United States, now in the midst of the Watergate scandal. He says, I had an overwhelming sense that I was unclean. I bet some of you have had that experience, haven't you? I know I have. Overwhelming sense. I'm dirty. I'm unclean. All this abuse, all this pride, all this manipulation, hanging like a, a million pound weight on him. He said, after talking to Tom, I found that when I got to the car to drive away, I couldn't. I was crying too hard. And I was not one to ever cry, he said. I spent an hour calling out to God. I did not know the right words. I simply knew that I wanted him. And I knew for certain that the God who created the universe heard my cry. Here's a man who is suffering. Here's a man who is experiencing national and international humiliation. Here is a man facing prison. Here is a man who has gone from greatness to the abyss of human experience. Reflecting back on it, he concludes, From the next morning to this day, I have never looked back. I can honestly say that the worst day of the last 35 years has been better than the best days of the 41 years that preceded it. That's a pretty bold statement given my time in prison, three major surgeries, and two kids with cancer at the same time, but it's absolutely true. See, in his case, suffering saved. Had he not suffered, had this experience not visited his life, he would have lived his life in continued arrogance. His ego would have continued to grow. He would have pushed the envelope further and further and further. He would have abused people and abused power. But yet, God brought him to his knees. And because God brought him to the knees, he reached out and for the first time in his life cried out to the God who created the universe for forgiveness. And God brought him forgiveness. And his life has never been the, change, or the same. Today, he, he runs Chuck Colson Prison Ministries. And he reaches out to the prisons, people who used to be part of his colleagues. And he reaches out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving them hope. And thousands have come to faith because of his suffering. See, suffering sometimes saves. Now, if there's no other practical reason, suffering and pain protects you know, God has given us a, a, a nervous system. And we, when we touch something hot, we learn a lesson quick. 
When we take that cup of coffee and put it to our lips and it burns our lips and our tongue, we say, I think I'll let this cool for a while. After a day out in the sun at the beach too long and our skin is red and crispy, we think, I don't think I'm going back tomorrow. I'm going to start using some sunscreen. When we strain a muscle, we know not to work that muscle. We know to rest. See, pain protects us. You know, I got to thinking about this. And it must have been this way even before man fell into sin in the garden. God didn't give us a nervous system after he created us when we fell into sin. He gave us a nervous system to start with. And, just, and I don't know, in my mind, this is a little bit of tokarology I'm sharing with you here. But you know, I'll bet when Adam dropped a rock on his foot the first time in the garden, it hurt. I'll bet he, say, he said, note to self, don't drop rock on foot. I'll bet the first time Eve got a hold of some jalapenos and made a meal that night, Adam said, whoa, Eve, careful with the jalapenos. You know, I think that when Adam smashed his thumb with a hammer, it hurt. The difference is, I don't think he thought or cried out the same things we cry out and think, well, under sin. But I think it's always been there. It's a natural protection. It protects us from letting our hand on a, on a hot stove until our, our flesh is melting off our hand. See, pain has a practical purpose. Now let's go beyond that. And those of us who are men and women of faith, those are, who of us are men and women who understand that God is always at work in our life. Do you understand it? Do you get that? He's not just at work in your life when you come here to church or when you're sitting down and praying before a meal. He is always at work in your life. He, you are always in his mind. He's watching everything that's going on in your life. And he's using your, or desiring to use you for his glory. And so the Bible tells we who have trusted Christ as our Savior very clearly in Romans 8.28 that we know that in all things, all things, does that mean just the good times? No, it means the bad times, especially the bad times. That God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, God has some purposes in our life for suffering too. One of those purposes is this, that suffering strengthens. I'm trying to lose weight again. You know, I had I'd lost all that weight for a long time, then I went under all those surgeries and gained a lot of weight back, and so now I'm trying to lose weight again. So this week, I said, I'm starting my exercise program again. So I went out there. I used to be walking four miles every day, and I, I did it in about 50 minutes, 5-0. I was really moving along. I was pumping along, and people used to see me, and they'd make fun of me. Women used to pull children off the street so they didn't see me coming down. It, was, it wasn't really pretty, but I was out there pumping. Well, I got back to doing that this week, and I thought, well, you know, I'll just go back to the four miles. I'll just start right back where I left off. You know, I'm learning that as you get older, you can't do that anymore. I went about a mile, and I was sucking air. And my muscles were like screaming at me. Well, I, I worked through the pain, and, and so uh, finally I went two and a half miles, but that was all I could do. And I came back. And when I came back, my legs were like shaking in the driveway. And the next day, when I got up, I had pain throughout my entire body. And I thought, i got to do this again today. I can't do it again. But I went and did it again. And then the next day, I went and did it again. And the next day, I went and did it again. And guess what happened over three or four or five days? The pain left. See why? Because my muscles start getting stronger again. I start using them again. And I got strong. See, there's an adage in the gym, no pain. No pain. Yeah. 
No pain, no gain. See, pain strengthens us. And that's not only true in our physical conditioning. It's true in our spiritual conditioning. It's true in helping us to be able to, to, to go through life victoriously and successfully despite our circumstances. In fact, the Bible says this in James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know, the Bible actually says this, that when we go into a time of pain, when we go into a time of suffering, we should count it as pure joy. I don't think so. Now, obviously, the Bible isn't saying you lose your job and just go around and say, thank you, Jesus, I lost my job. Thank you, Jesus, I got no money in the bank. Thank you, Jesus, we don't have any food this week. Oh, things are so good in my life. That's not what he's saying. He says, count it all joy, because you're a believer, and God's at work in your life. And this isn't by accident. God is working in your life. Because you know what? He's trying to build up your spiritual muscles. And the same thing happens with our spiritual muscles that happens with our physical muscles that haven't been used in a while and we start using them suddenly again and what? It hurts. There's a little pain involved. But the more we go to God and the more we exercise those spiritual muscles, the stronger we get and the more we are able to to, to put up with in life, and, and the less that our life situations trouble us and stress us out and, and bring us to despair. See, we get strong, and we can persevere through life. That's why some of you who have been believers for a long time, or even a relatively long time, you can think back of things when you just became a believer that would just have knocked you off your feet. And you look back at those things now, and you go, are you kidding me? And you see young believers dealing with that, and you go, oh, that's nothing, don't worry about that. Why? Because you've been strengthened. Your spiritual muscles are strengthened. You've got faith. So now God is going to raise the bar a little bit for us. And he's going to say, okay, I know you can handle this, 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 and this, and this. Now I want you to learn that you can even handle this. And so he's going to raise the bar a little bit, trouble our waters a little bit, and, and we're going to react the same way. We're going to go, oh God, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. And God's going to say, come on, don't give up, don't give up, because no pain, no. And pretty soon, You'll have gone through that experience. And God will say, see, I told you you could do it. See, the mind gives out. And the heart gives out before the body gives out. And the spirit gives out. But suffering actually strengthens and God uses it in our life to make us stronger. So if you're going through a time of suffering, understand that God is at work in your life. And that's why Paul says, count it joy, because you know God is doing something good for you. And he's bringing you to a new place that you never imagined you could go. Pain purifies. Now, there's another way that God uses pain. And that's to purify. Sometimes it's not about strengthening our faith. Sometimes it's about getting our attention. See, David said in Psalm 30, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Oh, this describes you and me sometimes. Sometimes, job's going good, we're selling all the deals, we've been salesmen of the, of the month for several months now, boss is saying, what could we ever do around here without you? 
Our relationships are just kind of sailing along through life. There's money in the bank. We're enjoying life. And we get to a place we go, start believing all the good things people say about us. Oh, this is good. I'll never be shaken. God, I can serve you anytime. Because everything's going good. See, when, when Satan wanted to use Job, he, he said, God said, well, can, have you considered my servant Job here? He says, well, yeah, why wouldn't he praise your name? You've given him everything in the world. He's rich. He's got family. He's got land. He's got cattle. God said, take it away. See what happens. Now, in our case, here's what often happens. David, crying out in Psalm 32 after sinning with Bathsheba. Day and night, he says. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. What's he talking about? He's talking about guilt. He sinned against God. And God now is filling his life with pain, the pain of guilt, the suffering of shame. It was heavy. My, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, when we get out of line, and we are intentionally, willfully sinning against God, we know we're doing it. Then God's going to take action. He's going to bring some pain into our life to purify us. Now, is he going to do that because he's angry with us, and because he's mad at us, and because he's saying, I'm going to get you for that? Not at all. book of Hebrews explains it. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, as a daughter. See, a good parent disciplines their child. Not because they're angry with them, not because they're mad at them, not because they hate them, because they know that if they don't, their child is going to go in ways that are going to be destructive to him or her. And and the things that they'll reach out and want to do, they don't understand the danger of them. They don't understand the destructive nature. And so the child gets out of line, and we bring correction into their life because we love them. And so they get a time out. They get TV privileges taken away. Or whatever. Now that causes what in their life? Pain. But what it's really doing is it's purifying, isn't it? And that's what God does to you and me. When we're out of line, because He loves us, because He He, he recognizes us as a family member, He's going to come in and He's going to bring a little pain into our life to purify us. But I love Psalm 30, verse 5. David also wrote this, For His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping remains for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Listen, if you've got some pain in your life right now, place one to start is to really give an honest evaluation of your relationship with God. Have you gotten away from God? Are you walking off on your own way? Are you engaging in things that the Holy Spirit is convicting you are wrong to do, and you're doing them anyhow just because it's, it's satisfying some physical desire or some emotional desire or... or, or or some sensual desire, and you're continuing to do it anyhow, and you're wondering why you got pain in your life, maybe the place to start is where David didn't get on your knees and say, God, I get it. I'm coming back. I don't want to live in this pain anymore. The Bible says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. See, sometimes pain is there to purify. 
It's been in my life to purify. It's been in your life to purify. And if it's in your life right now, you need to do something about it. But also, pain sues. You say, you say what? Pain sues. Say, I don't know, Pete. I can never think of a time in my life when I was going through pain that it was soothing. Well, no. Because pain those cases is to strengthen you or paint is, is to purify you. So how does suffering soothe? It doesn't soothe you. It soothes others. So what are you talking about? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. How good does that sound, huh? Aren't you glad that that's what God's really like? That he's not this ogre out there? It goes on to say, who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, there's another reason God uses suffering and pain. He allows us to go through experiences that are very difficult and trying and painful. And then while we're going through those, He brings comfort to us Either through himself, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through bringing another person alongside us, through, through taking the care of the situation, ultimately whatever it is, he comforts us so that we can in turn comfort others who are going through a similar experience. See, sometimes God allows pain in the life of a believer to strengthen, to strengthen that faith muscle. Sometimes he brings it because we got out of line and he's trying to lovingly draw us back. But sometimes it's got nothing to do with us. And I think more often than not, it has nothing to do with us. But God is allowing us to experience that so that we can go to another man, another woman, another family, another couple, another parent with a sick child, another parent with a rebellious child. And we can say, listen, I know your pain. It's not theoretical in my mind. It's not some platitude that I'm trying to say to you. I know your pain because I lived that pain. But I want you to know that there's hope. And we point him to God. See, it it says, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, just as Christ never said that we're going to have Suffering free lives. He never ever said it. He said the exact opposite. Jesus was always honest with us. And so just as because Christ suffered at the hands of men and he was ridiculed and, and, and he was ultimately stoned and even killed, he said because we're in the family, that's going to rub off on us. But so will Christ's comfort overflow off of us to others. If you're in pain, Step one, as a believer now, step one, take a check to make sure that you're not rebelling against God and you're not living in sin. And if you are, then you need to confess that sin so that God can relieve the guilt of it off of you and you can get back on track. Number two, it could be a strengthening exercise. Maybe God is taking you to a new place and he's trying to strengthen your faith. Number three, though, and maybe simultaneously with number two, Start looking around. All right, God, who am I supposed to go to? Who are you preparing me to minister to? Because God uses suffering 
to soothe others. Suffering exists in the world, absolutely. But don't blame God. Does God use suffering for good? Absolutely. Punishes perpetrators. Sometimes saves people from where they would have been had He not brought pain into their life. It protects us just naturally and physically. It strengthens us. It purifies us. And it allows us to be a comfort to other people in the world. Now here's the good news. It's not always going to be this way. See, one day God's going to restore the original created order to this world. And it says in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, Speaking of that day, after Jesus has come and He's restored His eternal kingdom, and He's made the earth new again, He's going to create it like it was intended to be. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Read it with me. He will wipe away tear from their eyes. Read it again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. See, that's where it's all ending up. God is going to outlaw pain. He said there'll be no more death. There'll be no mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. Because ultimately, He's going to put this world back the way it was intended to be. And we're all going to see how we were intended to live. And then, as Linwood said earlier, and every knee will bow and every eye, every voice will raise up and say, You are Lord to the glory of God the Father. We'll confess Him and fall to our knees. Now here's the deal. That ultimate experience isn't going to be for everyone. He promises to wipe away every tear from the eyes of those who have put their trust in Him during their life. Jesus also spoke very directly and said for those who don't that they'll be cast out into outer darkness and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth will there'll be eternal suffering but that's not God's plan for you it's not God's plan for any man any woman God's plan is that every man every woman come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the eternal forgiveness of their sins let's bow our heads Thanks for listening. Here at Florida Bible Church, we believe the first and most important step in life's journey is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question is, how about you? If you haven't started this relationship, you can use this model prayer. Jesus, I do want to begin a relationship with you. I know that I have sinned against you and cannot save myself. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness of all my sins and I accept you as my personal Savior, believing that you died on the cross and paid for all my sins. Forgive me now, and please give to me your precious gift of eternal life. Amen. You can find this prayer along with more detailed information on our website at www.floridabible.org. Just click the Beginning a Relationship with Jesus button. There you will also learn more about us and find the next steps for a Christ follower. Thanks again for listening to Living Life with Purpose.